welcome back to the Why Hockey is Mark Pesek Really Trolling Us podcast, because I think he is. I was going to say the state of the Panthers or something topical. Oh. Well, no, nah, no, no. I think, well, Mark Pesek... The 65% of results from the Iowa caucus? No, 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 no. Not that. Mark Pesek scoring a hat trick is very topical, sir. Yeah, but I meant like, you know, outside hockey. Oh, uh, no. Just to try to, just to tie it in, but uh, that's fine. Well, anyway, um, Pesek I don't, I mean, Pe- is he trolling us? I mean, yes. yeah, I mean, like there's a, there's a bit, but like, I mean, it's, it's a masterclass in hard work, being open to new opportunities and the biggest factor, random fucking luck. Um, <laughs> and like, I mean, a lot of, I mean. Hashtag and then there's the ball basically or other yeah. hashtag that's baseball, Susan, or I guess that would be, that's hockey. Randy, I guess would be the Panthers version of that. <laughs> it, it, I mean, like there's a lot of things at play. I mean, obviously Q and Yandel are using like they were using Achari's success as the jumping off point to get the team focused, to get them ready for games, to keep the morale up, to keep them believing in themselves, even when things don't go their way. All of that is being run through the Prius at the moment, you know, like that's, that's the rallying cry. I mean, and you, you see the need for it. I mean, I think the, the, the most general example is the miracle on ice 1980 movie, right? Where they all have Herb, Herb Brooks gives them something to bond over and that's hating him. Uh, and you know, they're, they're bonding over, um, you know, Pissick, Achari, you know, the, their friends doing well, you know, and and having some of the best games of their career. Did you see the bench after that third goal? I've never seen a hockey bench look like that ever before. Well, I mean, that's, that's just because you follow the Panthers and they don't, you know what I mean? Like that, that's pretty common on a lot of teams. You just don't see it because. Let's be honest, the Florida Panthers hockey team is very rarely a, a group of people that are hockey first, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, uh, yeah, I guess. There's always something going on. I mean, like, the, for a lot of, there's something going on in the front office. The team's not going well. The team's not good enough. I mean, they're in Florida. There's people who are there to f- close out their careers and not really, you know, win, the, you know, that kind of stuff bad coaches you know where it's it's really hard to get that group bond to all kind of be on the same page going in the same direction now i'm not saying that they were never like that or they didn't get close to that a couple of years and stuff but i'm just saying it's hard uh when you're not the you know a, a perennial contender team that it's very obvious that winning the Stanley cup is serious business. And that's, that's goal one. And, and, uh, you know, getting the, being on the same page and, and sticking together is, is monumental at that point. Yes. I want to get, before we get into this, I want to do some plugs first because we have done some things first. Sure. Uh, sponsored by Harry's razors now. Uh, uh, um, kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Uh, Allison Lucan podcast from Saturday might not be yeah. as timely, but still very topical. Allison did some great work talking about the Bobrovsky question. Really interesting and, to talk about And Bobrovsky Allison does a lot of great fantasy work, too. Ah, so, uh, yes. Play- I'm not a fantasy hockey player, but Allison is really an amazing writer. If you don't follow her on The Athletic, I suggest you do that. She's an amazing guest. She's incredibly humble. Uh, she doesn't think her work is as good as it is, I guess, uh, but it's amazing, and you should definitely... 
definitely listen to that show. It's only 40 minutes. Uh, the interview show is really digestible. Pretty cool. Second show I want to plug is I did a podcast released yesterday with the defenseman for the Manchester Storm, Zach Sullivan. Why do you care about the Elite Ice Hockey League in the UK? Well, he came out as bisexual. So that is obviously the greatest hockey thing that has ever happened, ever and or previously. So I interviewed him. It is one of my favorite shows I've ever done. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil a lot of what happened in that show. I encourage you to listen to it, all of you. You're going to really get something out of it, even if the LGBTQ issues is not the thing that is your bag. But I will tell you this. You know who plays on the Manchester Storm that I didn't know about? Colton Salserman. No, I wish he did, because then I would have been, that would have been the whole podcast. You know who plays on that team? Henrik Samuelson. Henrik Samuelson. Really? Okay. Yeah. Former first round pick of the Arizona Coyotes, Ulf Samuelson's son. I yeah, did he not was, know that. He was one of those guy uh prospects that was really good defensively, you know, like it's very clear that he was the son of a longtime NHLer who turned into a coach. Like he played the game the right way. He was coachable, you know, all those uh 200 hockey men type, you know, traditional scouting quotes. Uh, and then he also had like the, the Swedish kind of, well, he skates really well. He, you know, he thinks the game well, he, he's always uses his teammates well. So there, if he just figures out the scoring or, you know, he'll be a great player, but we know how that goes. Yeah. But, uh, so I found out... Not saying I didn't like him at the time either, because well, it's, it's a Swedish it's forward. It's funny Come how on. that works, but he's on that team, so we talked a little bit about him too. But I encourage you to listen to that show. You should listen to it too, Tommy. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, Zach is an amazing guy. He does Definitely. not sound like a hockey player. And it's because he's English, so you have that English sarcasm, you know, that British sensibility in there. But, I mean, I had so much fun doing that show. I encourage you to listen to it. The, the listen count on that is low, and that makes me sad. So listen to it. You'll really enjoy it. Um, that's part two. Part three is what the schedule is going to look like in the coming weeks. Got this show dropping today. Uh, next week, two Panthers-Flyers games. Huge crossover appeal. So we're going to wait until Friday until those games are done to drop the show because we'll have a lot to talk about then with two Panther-Flyer games, obviously. Following week, yep. because the Panthers are on their West Coast road trip and games take place at 10 at night, there's no real way we could do a podcast with it being timely. It's probably going to be a week off. And then expect something near or after the trade deadline after all sorts of things happen, and Brendan Dillon is the biggest trade chip. So, makes sense? I think I think that's, I don't think Brendan Dillon's the biggest trade chip. Well, I think Brendan like Dillon's it. agent is is really pumping tires to make him the biggest trade chip because there's not that many out there. Oh, there's but, yeah. nothing out there. Uh, we'll get to what Dale Talon's been saying recently because when you're in Toronto, Dale Talon does a bunch of interviews, and we'll get to that in a second yeah athletic nhl.com they all pop up at the same time <laughs> they do it's very i wonder what happened to make that happen. well well you basically just you just start thinking like all right which which big hockey town is, is he in is he in new york because the, the nhl.com offices are there there's a lot of you know media based out of out, out that way yes uh, um and then toronto as well or montreal or something like that yeah. so multiple dale talent interviews and it's very, very interesting and coincidental. They all happen at the same time. So speaking of that, let's get to these games after the All-Star break. If you told me the Panthers were going to go 4-1-1 on this road trip, I would have taken it. I'm sure you would have taken it. Even though it didn't go the way I think we all expected, uh, especially with Barkov being hurt, even though it's not a major injury, 
the one thing that I wanted to see if the Panthers could do in these last two games particularly, you're playing without your captain, you're playing without your best player. You know you're not going to score in the same way you did before. Can you at least defend? Can you at least attempt to defend in the ways that you probably need to to be a playoff team? And in many ways, I actually think they sort of did. I'm not saying they were trying more. They were trying more. Yeah, but I think that's, you know, good and bad. And we talked about it last night uh, during the game a bit, how it, it's it was benef- not you never want to be without Barkov. But without Barkov, without your number one center, and when you think about it, you're only top six center, if you're being really honest about the team makeup. Um, you're gonna. It's gonna be really hard to keep possession of the puck. It's gonna be really hard getting through the middle of the ice, getting through the neutral zone. I mean, that's what centers do. Like that's that's their main job, and you don't see it all the time because it's subtle. It's um, you know, it, it's not something uh, that's really easy to see until it's missing. Um, and you can see it a lot with some of the the big centers like uh you know mckinnon and and uh crosby and malkin and all of that yeah when they when they leave you can you can see how much slack the team has to pick up and how many different people on different lines multiple lines have to pick up that that slack um but without barkov uh you're basically game planning for a game where you know the other team's gonna have the puck 70 percent of the game Mm mm-hmm because you know that's just the reality of this team being without Barkov, and so what that does is it forces them to grind out games where you you're expecting not to get the puck. So you're thinking, all right, I'm not going to be doing something stupid with the puck. I'm getting the puck, picking my head up, taking two strides. If I can find someone, I'm putting it on their tape. If I can't, I'm off the wall and out. It's getting to a safe spot, uh, and that cuts down just just because you're in that mindset, that cuts down a lot of stupid plays. A lot of D jump in the zone, which causes, you know, odd man rushes or broken breakouts or things like that. Um, Because people are more playing like it's a penalty kill. Then, you know, so they're staying more compact. They're staying inside the dots. You know, you're not seeing Yandel and Ekblad both outside the face-off circle at the same time. You're at least say- seeing them on the same side of, like, the crease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they it's a, it's and, a little better. I called it Mourinho-ing because it is very park the bussy in the best hockey way you can say it. And listen, this is not a great defensive team. Joe Quenville has said this is not a great defensive team, but they played decently overall defensively now you can tell they're not good at it because they still gave up a ton of shots they still gave up good chances but at least they proved in some way that they aren't as bad at it as i thought they could be because it's really hard to change a mindset of a team when it's so run and gun so wide open to okay we have to be defensively responsible we know we're not going to have the puck we've got to do this better than we've ever done it before and to change that mindset is hard and they did it somewhat okay the 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 one downside and you know you could say this is actually a positive too is that it was back-to-back games so you know the sample size that we have of them needing to play like this and playing you know at least paying attention to it is 48 hours yes um which you know that's that's it's easy season to date right but it's it's easy competing with 
Yeah, but it's easy to buckle down for 48 hours. I mean, like, you know, you're, sure. you're, it's easy to qu- quit smoking for 48 hours and stuff. It's, you know, it's can you keep that consistency? Can you make that mindset shift? I mean, obviously, we're not going to have them park the bus every game, but just, you know, not – they just have to be more defensively aware and more aware of puck management plays instead of making – you know, the play they usually make. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying throw the puck away. I'm not saying pucks in deep and we're just going to become a, you know, a a suitor, the suitor team where we just dump and chase and bang bodies. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of times where that cross ice pass in the neutral zone, just outside the blue line, you know, leaving your zone is a great play when it works out. But, you know, there's, if there's another guy open, that's a, that's a simple shorter pass and not someone that can jump in and, and turn over and go the other way, that's the better play. And unfortunately, that's they don't really go through – they don't take stock of the ice. They don't – a lot of players on this team don't see the ice completely and process it quickly enough um, to make those decisions. Um, but they're getting better at it. And, you know, Quinville and Talon in those interviews were mentioning – talked about how it took them so long this year because there just wasn't consistency. You know, sometimes Matheson makes a great play and sometimes Matheson looks like he should be sent down to the AHL and it's the same shift or it's the same period or the same week or something. Um, But that's applied to a lot of most of the players on the team. Most of the units, you know, special team units on the team, like if our power play is going, Town said our penalty kill is not or vice versa. Uh, And that's, and, you know, that's why it takes so long. And that's well, why... The thing is, this team's never was consistent. Even when it was good, it was never necessarily consistent. And that's a hard mindset to get out of. It's just ingrained in you. And so when you have a, a coach like Joel Quenville, it's like, it feels like shock therapy sometimes. Like, when it goes to this back-and-forth, ping-pongy kind of consistency, it's hard to get out of those bad mindsets and to change those habits. It's taken Quenville a while to do that. And let's be honest, this is still largely the same team that last year was not very good. There are different players, but it's largely the same team. So when you think about the fact that they're already in a better position with the fact that they haven't been consistent, and then they had a six-game winning streak, which, again, they had more than one, I think it was more than two games in regulation in a row all year, that at least shows to me that they're figuring something out, and they're getting better as it goes along. And these games were tough because you don't have Barkoff, and they're the two most important games of the season. You're playing teams you're directly competing with. And that makes it trickier. But the fact that I think that they found a way to do that even though they're not at full strength and their consistency is nowhere near where it needs to be is at least telling me that they believe in something. And the fact is, I, I thought that going in the Toronto game, they didn't have a chance. And it helps that the Leafs are also a team that I don't understand how this happened multiple times against the Panthers. But, I mean, that third period by Toronto was heinous. If that happened with the Panthers, we would have been talking about firing the coach. If that was Boogner, good Lord, I cannot imagine what that, that the talk on this podcast would have been like. But the fact is they have at least some belief. You know, they have these, these, this willingness to do what it takes to win because they, they want to win for their coach. They want to win for their other guys there who they like. It seems like, again, the dressing room isn't about like, oh, we have these expectations. We think we should. It's now we believe we can. You know what I mean? And I think there's a big difference in that mindset. And you can see that belief 
coming in and some of the things that have happened in recent games. And that gives them a chance to do what they did in Toronto. And even against Columbus, who played pretty well, and it's not like the Panthers played terribly. Like, to do what they did on a back-to-back in that situation, the building they never went in, you know, again, that's the belief, right? I think that helps, and it shows me that if they get to where they can be, they're going to be really hard to beat, but they haven't gotten there yet. It, I mean, it's going to take some more growing in the locker room um, because eventually you need you, you can't be using gimmicks or, you know, you're not always going to have a depth player playing over his head like this. You're not always going to have this like built in thing to rally against. So you got to, you just have to develop that trust in each other, but also that accountability. Um, and that, that this comes when was never accountable. I think, it yeah. And, and th- that accountability has to come from the players though, to each other. I mean, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what Quenville does, but, when these when the other shoe drops and and it's going to you know they're going to get into a slump or something at some point the rest of the season uh it's going to be about whether they start being accountable to themselves if they start to, you know talking amongst themselves like you know this play isn't mm-hmm. you know acceptable this isn't you know we need to fix this and take it among upon themselves to do it that's where teams in the past in florida haven't been able to make it down the stretch run and make up ground or or to or to keep up and, and make sure that they make it all the way through the playoffs um it because they've when the going gets tough they get going um in the when it comes to you know down the stretch sure they can win a tough to game but Yes, yeah, they get going right to the golf course, and you know they they have they don't have that many layers of pushback, and that's something that hopefully they're you're seeing now them developing that pushback uh, right now. Mm. Um, but the other end is like it doesn't matter how much pushback they get, how much they learn to play you know defensively and and within themselves because um, they're they're still a team where on paper the weaknesses of their players and their players style um they have just gaps that just do not are not conducive to winning playoff hockey they don't have enough centers uh they don't have they don't play you know def- they don't have enough people who manage the puck well they don't have enough people who who aren't streaky like dependable everyday players you can probably think of four maybe five forwards and i'm counting a chari as one of those um, and then you got like maybe one or two D that that's consistent, that's dependable, that um, mm-hmm. isn't going in and out of slumps or, you know, super high and then super low. You know, there's a lot of Mike Hoffman's and Brett Connolly's and guys that and Mike Matheson. Um, yeah, that are just roller coaster emotion. He was awful to start the year. He's played a lot better since. I, I'm not buying. No, I'm not. Yeah. You're not buying he's that? he's still replaceable oh, replacement level oh, NHL defender himself right now. He's playing uh, better than he was. And that's at least he so just good. has good shifts in between shitty shifts now okay. instead of just instead of mediocre shifts. But the, the I mean, uh, it's not like I don't give somebody as talent as naturally talented and somebody who should be good like Matheson points for putting together a couple good shifts. Uh, 
I can, I can. You know, like I just can't. I, I, it's been too many years. He's too old. He's not a prospect. You know, he's played too many games in this league, and he's got too much, too big of a contract, and he's too important to this team to really let him get away with that. Especially when you know, like we said, there's no other accountability. There's no accountability to Matheson. So I, I don't want to think that there's really a reason that he's turned the corner because, like I said, there's barely any accountability i mean he's uh, it's, it's started to get sat so this low. year but yeah i mean so it, it they don't have the luxury to do it because True. i mean who who's gonna play in his stead they they already pull, we used to say stillman call up stillman but they, they're using that right now they, well, he's, uh, playing so, with, he's playing with strawman and you know Weger's yeah. back but you know yeah we'll have to wait till he gets up and going again yeah. but well let's talk about that because i've seen multiple interviews with dale talon speaking of those interviews where he's talking about trading for a partner for aaron ekblad which he should have done in the off season let's be fair but <laughs> yep. um you know what better late than never uh in this way i think that again you have Uyghur back you already see that the team's a little bit more comfortable defensively than they were even though they were playing specifically i, I don't Weger's little... been atrocious since that the he he came back what against Columbus yeah. right? He was by far the worst defenseman. On well, the, yes, on that the, that's definitely like, true. He, but I could chalk some of that up. There to was, us. yeah, there were some some plays where he was on the breakout and he would just throw the puck to Yandel haphazardly, like out of the blue, and Yandel's just in front of the net with a guy on him, like, hey, like, this is, <laughs> like, the, these would have been goals where Yandel would have had a turnover, and nobody would have been mad at Yandel. It, it was, you know, True. and he had, he had a lot of those shifts, so I don't know. Well, he's, it's, um, it's, it's, he's just came back from being out for nearly a month. Well, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like they, he, he had enough game speed in practice. No, they, no, no, you know, and that, and again, but that's, I, I mean, you can't ever say anything bad about the coach Q anymore because it's the best coach we'll ever have. You know, you got to trust well, him, blah, well, blah, blah, blah. But he can make mistakes. And I think that, right. Joel Quenville's a good coach who would admit he'll make mistakes. Yeah. You know? And I think that they probably should have put some more, um, game pace into their break and then you have the three and four days i get it yeah but i mean like you have so many like you had that sh whole big break you could have been getting a lot of scrimmage time in for Mackenzie weger i guess i mean if your plan it's was not, to play it's not outlawed by the cba which i think it is but whatever the i mean he's hurt at that point he can still train i i, I agree i would agree with you you don't have to have him scrimmage with the squad, you know. He can, but you got to get him into more game pace stuff with five other, you know, ten guys on the ice. Yeah. Um, you know whether that's, it's that's 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 that that is definitely somewhat true. Well, we'll see how he progresses uh, going forward because the games still get tougher. And I, I wrote like, who are the Panthers going to play if Uyghur's healthy? And they scratched Josh Brown, so they they did make the decision that you and I both would have made. So well, I mean, it's the obvious one. I mean, well, for I, contract my reasons. Was, my I mean, was with that was, are they going to play Uyghur, But are they not going to like? Are they going to scratch Stillman because Brown's playing some of the best hockey of his career, and Joel Quenville knows how to get the most out of somebody when they're on a run. So that wasn't the case. Brown's playing the best hockey of his career, and he's still playing much worse than finding his finding his feet, Stillman true I be, and stillman's not like some great prospect i mean like as much as there's a lot of scouts and people in the scouting industry that think he's 
definitely, you know, even when he was in the a drafted prospect, that he's a NHL player. He's got a lot of good defensive acumen. He's, you know, coachable, all of this stuff. But they always say, you know, his ceiling's pretty limited. I mean, like, he maybe is a fourth or fifth defender on a team at, at best, but that's really being optimistic. Um, yes. He might be one of those D that this, what you see is what you get. And this is this is kind of, you know he only has a little growth at the NHL level, um, but I, there's nothing wrong with that because he's filling a role that the Panthers don't have, and that's why he seems so. That's why you feel like he's such an important piece of the Panthers, and why he's, uh, most fans have been saying, "Wow, Stillman looks great." It's because he's doing the things that the other D don't do, Correct. and that stands out to you. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Very good point. So he talked about trading for a D to partner with Aaron Ekblad. I don't know what's available at this trade deadline that's even remotely close to being the guy that Aaron Ekblad needs. You said Hampus Lindholm. There's no way the Ducks are trading him, even though. Well, Bobby, I mean, there is a way. There is the a Ducks way. just have to, to be. For it, and I don't know whether. I'd be fine with that. I mean, like uh, Hampus Lindholm is a D that you overpay for, and that's it's not it's not an Adam Larson situation. This is a guy who's put up some of the best defensive impact out of all defenders in the last three, four years. And so he's still young. What does that look like? I just have to ask the question. For you. I mean, it, you're, you're giving up one of your top forward prospects. You're giving up a first, and then you Matheson. probably have to give a Matheson or something too, because they're going to want a D that's going to be able to play for a couple of years with their team. Cause they're, they're I don't know. The thing is their, their GM Murray, Bob Murray, he's not going to rebuild. He's always just going to retool, the, no matter how bad it gets. What now, I guess. Yeah, but well, I mean, like they're really can't trade him, Denisenko, because he doesn't like Russians. Well, I mean, I think that's. I mean, I think it's Tippett, Borgstrom, Heponiemi. Those are the yeah, three. Yeah, probably it would be something. Maybe like a Saren Noel or something like that. If someone, if you know, maybe Bob Murray's really high on him because he's a six-six Canadian who hits and scores crease goals. You know, it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, it is possible. Unfortunately, Noel's not having the, the type of year. I mean, he's having a good year, but he's not having the type of year that would, you know, raise his stock over, you know, yeah. a usual second-round pick. But um, No, but, I mean, I get, I mean, again, if you could swing a deal like that, you do it. Yeah, so, I mean, I would give... If Lindholm, then we're cooking with gas, but I'm not expecting it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I agree. But when it comes to overpaying... Lindholm or another person who is the top pair defenseman that would work great with Ekblad and be probably your number one defender. Um, There's no reason the Panthers shouldn't one trade their draft picks and two trade their prospects to get this done. They're at there's as someone who is so big on not unnecessarily trading draft picks or prospects for me to say that, you know, the time is now. I mean, we, 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 there cannot be any more building to the future. I mean, Talon loves saying, I don't like making trades unless it benefits us this year and two, three years down the line. But I think they got to get a little more, somewhat more short-sighted or start raising the, the ante going for the players that they're, they're willing to trade for because, I mean, it's starting to get necessary 
they're running out of time. And when you think about their prospects, I mean, we haven't talked about how bad Borgstrom's been this year. Oh, yeah. And and how his development, he's, what, like six years out of his 18-year-old draft year, his first draft year when he get drafted. We already knew he was going to be a late bloomer because he was playing – finished junior a his draft year didn't get drafted was going to college then stayed in college an extra year when he shouldn't then you know was yo-yoed up and down with the nhl and ahl and then when he plays in the ahl they give him nothing they give him no minutes they don't give him much opportunity and uh you know they're quick to sit him they're quick to and obviously he's had an injury recently but jordy can air and then and then if you look at hepo niemi Hepo Niemi's been playing fourth-line minutes. And when you look at Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings, when you look at Promman's rankings and stuff like that, they all mention the same thing. Hepo Niemi could be somebody where that, like, you know, it could have been, it could have, it could be a good pick. He could be a player that is, you know, a third-liner who, who brings value to the third line and brings you some offense in your bottom six. Uh, and, that's nothing to scoff at. You have him on your team. He's one of he could be a huge power play specialist and put up most of his points on the power play, which hey, I would take. Mm-hmm. But if you're giving him fourth liners and you're giving him six minutes a night in the AHL, yeah. you're basically just saying I'm scared that he's going to die in the AHL, or I'm scared to play him, or I'm scared to let him learn. And it's that development that makes me say, yeah, Florida. I would be willing to trade Hepo. Yeah, I would be willing to trade Hepo Niemi to get him one out of this development system. I'd be willing to trade Borgstrom to hopefully save his career, but also because what good is a less than like an undervalued, like a depreciating Borgstrom? I mean, at some point Borgstrom's value is just going to completely crater because he's going to be like a Michael McCarron or a, you know, Henrik Samuelson, a guy who could not make it despite the prestige, the, you know, like that, that, I don't, yeah, 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 exactly. The tools and the, the, the backing and the, getting drafted high with the team that plays them up, having early success. I mean, at one point, Borgstrom was the best player outside hockey, the best prospect, not counting cappers off, but best prox, prospect outside hockey. Mm. How, 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 like we, to the point that it's, people aren't even talking about Borgstrom this year. You don't even see his name. Uh, yeah, I, I try to follow some of the Springfield stuff that Crazy. is them, you know, doing a gimmick to get people in the building with the Simpsons and you don't see it. You see Tippett, yeah. you've seen a lot of Tippett, but you haven't seen Yeah, it. you'll see Sorella, Sorella, you know, that, yeah. yeah, but you won't, you won't well, see, you know, trade, and it's just, it's bizarre to me. But uh, that is their best center option. And right now, if they don't add a center at the trade deadline, you're I, hoping you they center, pull them up after the trade deadline. Do you think that? the center is even more valuable to them right now than D because I, know I mean I D. think I think in a play I think for this immediate year it's easier to get by with fewer defensemen especially if you're thinking Stillman's just gonna get Stay. good enough to handle Uyghur's gonna get back to his what he was doing earlier in the year not back to regular Uyghur back to you know first pair you know, playing the most minutes on the team type Uyghur. If he gets back to that, if Strawman can just hold on and not break down by the end of the year. He hasn't broken down yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, they could get away with it for this year. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't like, like it, but... On, I'm not focusing on long-term. I'm saying, yeah. can you do they, it for the rest of the season to get to the playoffs? They can, 
they can get to the playoffs without getting a D this year, it's going to be a lot harder to get to the playoffs without getting another C. That's that you know, or I'm starting to think. But the biggest thing is, it, if they get to the playoffs, it's going to be impossible to win. I think with the center depth, unless they get a really advantageous matchup or you know other things happen. Right but if it comes down, Tampa. that would be terrifying. Yeah. If they if it comes down to a line matchup type series and you know a control the play type series that's one on centerman uh, you know and, and you know what you look at look at the, the centers they have you know what the thing about the Panthers and Lightning is is that when you saw them play they would put Sorelli on Barkov every single time and it's not like Barkov was playing badly but Sorelli's a great matchup center and yeah. the Panthers don't have that cuz Tony Notto is not a matchup center and he's no, been Tony, Tony Notto is is treading water center yeah, he's a he's a you put him on the ice and you hope nothing happens but a couple block shots and he gets off, like you know. <laughs> he's been better than I thought he'd ever be, but I didn't really expect him to be good. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's so. If you look at the centers, you have Barkov, who's a first line center. That 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 yeah. works. You have Trocheck, who is probably in between a second line center and a third line center, depending on how he's playing, but he's a third line center, old Trocheck, good Trocheck's a two C. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, he's he, good. Trocheck still has a lot of holes. You know, he's not great defensively. He doesn't, he has he's tunnel vision. With the puck. Too much. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, but he's still a really good two C when he's on, he's not on, he's, he's getting better this year, but even with Achari and Huberto going off right now on his wings, uh, you know, he was still, a 3C. And then you have Achari, who's a in between a 3C and a 4C, I would say. But he's now a winger. <laughs> right, yeah, which is, again, a problem. You have to get him back into the center. Uh, and I think that, you know, he can be a 3C. Uh, you know, the way he's playing right now, he can be a 3C. Mm-hmm. Then you have Boyle, Malgin, and Toninato, that, and that's the rest of your centers. And uh, oh. they're all in between fourth line wingers 13th forwards as you know fifth centers that you know it's i I try to think then what kind of center could you trade for who would you trade for then to address the center issue because it's probably somebody who's going to be at best a two three c tweener well i mean i think i'm not i don't think that they need to necessarily trade for a center i think they just need to stop doing what they're doing right now with centers. I mean, they're hurting their center depth by having a charter at the wing. They're hurting their center depth by having Malgin sit out a bunch. They're hurting their center depth. Played, he played okay in the last couple games. He played okay. Yeah, in the last but he needs games. to play more because he you can see it with, with him and Howard. I mean, they were running into each other. There's just, you know, it was just like, Hey, like I haven't played enough. Like it's the same thing we saw with Uyghur, right? Yes. Um, and and everybody will excuse Uyghur, but no one will excuse Howerluck and Malgin because they're depth players. I, I give Malgin and Howerluck plenty of rope because I like what they do. You know, Jace Howerluck, when he's at his best, is an amazingly good pest. You need a player but, like that. And yeah. Malgin, you can see he has the speed. You can see he has the vision. It's that final little play that he's not making yet. And right. I think he can make those plays. That he had incredibly tough assignments in these two games. If you give him a chance, I think he can succeed. But I always look to see if there is there a center that they could trade for uh, that would help you know minimize some of that. I don't have any idea because the trade deadline this year is probably going to be very boring, and James Duffy is going to be reading Shakespeare on the air. I guess I don't know. But 
we will see. I want to also talk about Bobrovsky because we haven't done that yet. And I we saw 31 thoughts last week. Elliot Freeman, it was the 30th thought. But somebody said, Bobrovsky seems confident again. I throw the Montreal game out because nobody was playing even remotely close to hockey. Toronto, you know how I said on the uh, on the Allison Lucan show, there's a big difference between making a save to keep it at 4-3 rather than 2-1 to win a game with an empty net goal. That was the perfect example of that. Bobrovsky gave up three goals, but he was spectacular. And then last night, he was spectacular, right? Both of those games, like if that's the Bobrovsky you're getting the rest of the year, and obviously you're going to play Montembeau or somebody like that in games like against the Devils or one of your back-to-back from California when the team suck, but... If that's the Bobrovsky you get the rest of the year, that really stabilizes everything. And you said it before, Bobrovsky seems to now understand how this team is playing in front of him. He, he figured it out. I don't know if the light bulb completely clicked, but it's close to seems like it's clicking. And that, to me, was always an X factor because they were winning games, a lot of games, without Bobrovsky being anywhere near what he's capable of being. And if he's now somewhat near where he's capable of being, you maybe take off a goal a game. And if the offense continues to do what it does you're in suddenly a lot better shape. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the... It's the patient, it, and, and, and Allison talked about it too, and I don't think anybody, because you can't do it on Twitter, I guess, talk about how, and you've talked about it before, and again, I give you a ton of credit for pointing this out before anybody else did. It's about understanding how your D plays in front of you, and the, the comment you made that that's a save I would have liked to have had rather than I should have had, and how big a difference that is, you know, how much he had to move side to side because the Panthers give up those cross-crease passes, you know, the Royal Road passes, things of that nature. You can see him starting to figure it out a little bit. And he's a really, really good goaltender, and you knew he was going to figure it out at some point. And, I mean, he w- these, these might have been the best two games he's played as a Panther, the last two. And in the most important games of the year, that's what you want to see. It's been building. Um... I'll give you the credit because I was a little bit – too hard on him early i think i would say i was hedging my bets others really were hard on him uh you were not yeah. and and, and it a lot of people were to be on this show you ended up being right <laughs> yeah i mean like a lot of people were criti- were reacting to the contract and um the <laughs> expectations they had on bobrovsky to start the year um and maybe even on the team and not so much what Bobrovsky was actually doing. And I'm not talking about, you know, the people who are in your camp uh, that were saying, you know, Bobrovsky needs to be better, but obviously there's a lot going on around him that's making it difficult to be better. That Obviously, that was a fair, you know, that was that fair. That was analysis. It was like, yeah. Bobrovsky can play better, but it's not all on him. The D has to right. be better, and, too. And, and that's fair, too, but there's a lot of people who, yes. you know— and, we're and we're already talking about how much it would cost to buy him out. Yeah, point, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're salty enough. They don't need any more oh, salt. But very good. You can I can say off. that I'm I'm salty. So well, you um, are. I we're can, both yeah. we're both like that. But I mean, I always try to with analysis try to figure out why, you know, why is something happening? And I have always been in the team. The defense was bad, and it needed to be improved. Camp. So when you when you looked at the numbers, you looked at the quality of shots they were giving up, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that that told me that Bobrovsky he wasn't playing up to his best, but around him there weren't things that were conducive. And then you looked at the numbers and you looked at just the way that the Columbus played, and it was never pointed out to anybody. 
that he played on a team that was so defensively sound, so defensively structured, so much support from the forwards, all these little detail-oriented things, and now he's going to Florida, and he's playing behind a team that plays pond hockey. It's a huge difference. It's the biggest difference you can possibly have in terms of systems in this sport. Everybody could go like, oh, the systems are all the same. Well, when you look at Columbus and Florida, they're about as different as you could possibly have. And it's taken Bobrovsky about 50 games to adjust. He's adjusting, and uh, he's starting to play Sergei Bobrovsky hockey. And now it's a matter of whether that continues. I think, that, I think that's the best explanation we had. And I think yeah, that's what and Allison and I were trying to get to. I think that's what Allison's conclusion was, too. And I think probably if you ask the goalie experts around the league, uh, you'd probably get the same answer. Right. And, and goalies are, I mean, pro athletes are superstitious. Goalies are a different species when it comes to superstition and, and routine and what they do on game days and practice days and all of that. And when you move to a new city in a new area, you know, everything's a part of your routine where you go to get your pregame coffee or food or whatever, where you take your naps and all that, and your whole environment's changing. So, I mean, yes, you, you want to be able to perform under adversity and overcome environmental challenges and stuff, but um, goalies, I don't want to say head cases, but goalies are very in their head and they, they need a lot of things to be at their best. And it's weird to say, and it's, you know, you're not trying to make excuses for it's, the guy or anything, it's but such a weird position. I don't think there's any other position like it in sports, you know, right. where you have this sort of this mindset and everything of this nature and you know what? I give credit to him because he's, he's fought through it and he's playing a lot better now and you can see it. It's visible uh, in his game. And that's obviously really helpful for the Panthers. Really, really helpful because they need it uh, at this point. And, you know, again, I, I joke. They said, like, if the Panthers continue to play offense the way they're playing, and this is assuming Barkov's healthy, and Bobrovsky is Bobrovsky, well, then, then you're on another level of what this team's capable of doing. Because they got to where they got to with Bobrovsky being nowhere near good enough. And that's some of it him, most of it team. And now he's starting to figure it out. That, that, that opens up possibilities for this team going forward. Before we get to um, prospects, because I want to talk about Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings. I want to talk about Corey Promen just posted his 2014 draft recap, which I haven't seen and I want to see it. Uh, and we also want to talk about the 2020 draft. Tommy released his rankings and I want him to talk about it on the show because he's great at that. Uh, I want to talk about the East playoff race because it is ridiculous and stupid at this point. Uh, and this gives us a chance to talk Flyers as well. Um, th this is one of the craziest playoff races I've ever seen. And they're always crazy, and the bar in the East gets higher and higher every year. And the Panthers are lucky that they have maybe that little slip in at third in the Atlantic, and they're only competing with Toronto to get there. But this race is nuts. You know, Columbus is playing out of its mind. And is only, you know, what, four points out of being out of the playoffs? It's ridiculous. Yes. The Panthers are playing out of their mind, and they're only one point up on the Leafs. Well, let's put it into perspective. The Panthers could likely have more points than the year that they shockingly missed the playoffs with the huge 96. point total thing. Yeah, they could have like 97 points and still miss the playoffs. The bar for entry in the East Conference playoffs could be 100 points this year. Right now, it's almost 97. Last year, I think it was it's 98. Not, 
Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, there is, I mean, I, I, I like, there's a lot of people that do the, you know, they need so many points and so many games and all this stuff where we need to get to this point pace, play that this point pace all this year to guarantee playoffs. And like a lot of that's modeling and that kind of like uh, goal setting stuff like works and it helps you um, not get too high, not get too low, et cetera. But it also like in here's like this where like the conventional wisdom is like, just get to 96, just get to 98, you know um, it, it's there's, it's more contextual. It's more about what's happening around you and not just what you're doing. You have to do well, of course, but you know, you need teams to stop picking up loser points. What other teams are doing because that's stupid. But this year, it's almost like you kind of have to because you, you're going to need a team to slip up. And well, you're getting to the point of the year you have to. I mean, before the before the new year, yeah, don't worry about other teams. Just keep your head down. But when you're trying to figure out where you are in the trade market and the playoff race before you the final trade call goes in, you know, you you need to figure that out. And that's why these coming games that the Panthers and Flyers are playing against each other is so important. That's why getting three out of four against Toronto and Columbus without Barkov is so meaningful. Because if you don't get anything out of that, you're in deep trouble. Even though you still have plenty of runway left, you're in deep trouble. So that's why that Toronto win was so huge and so seismic. And getting a point last night is important. Even if you didn't win, you still got a point. And listen, the, the good news is, their regulation wins tiebreaker is better than everybody. They have 24 regulation wins. Columbus is 22. Islanders have uh, 19. Philly's got 20. Toronto's 22. Carolina, 21. They have the tiebreaker right now, so that gives you a little bit of extra wiggle room. They can't worry about that, but that's an important thing. Remember when they were playing all those overtime games earlier in the year? Then that was their last – that last year day was their last overtime – first overtime game since November when they came back 4 nothing against the Ducks. Right. So they've been playing a lot of regulation wins and been getting a lot of regulation wins. That's key. But yep. we talk about these these three-point – these four-point games. you got the two against the Flyers. you got two left against um, Toronto. And they don't play Columbus anymore. They don't play the Islanders anymore. They don't play Carolina anymore. But those teams are going to play each other. So they're going to beat each other up. That There's a long way to go with that. But – just for the run, just for the Panthers, they you have to focus in on yourself and know what you're dealing with around you. The good thing is, though, they haven't gone on any losing streaks in a while. Since they came back from the All Star break, they've had at most one loss, and then they've won. That consistency isn't there. They've now until they got that six game winning streak, but they haven't been on a losing streak lately. And cross your fingers that doesn't happen. Uh, but for the rest of these teams, like, you know. For the Flyers, like they're seven two and one in their last ten, same as as Florida, and they're in the second wild card spot. You know, like they their advantage is they are unhumanly good at home, but they can't win a road game. You know, you have a team like the Leafs, who when it looks like they've turned the corner, they throw in an egg like they throw in against the Panthers, and you go, how in the hell do you expect to make the playoffs in the East this year when you play like that? You know what I mean? Like because those two games where they completely fell apart against Florida could be the difference between them making the playoffs and not. That's a huge thing. And, you know, Carolina, like, they haven't been great since that hot start, and now you're starting to look at it like, oh, well, they're, they're two points out. They're in some trouble. You know, like, that's how tight this race is in the East. And, and that makes these games so important. And, I mean, in the case of, in the case of Florida, 
they they did what they had to do on that road trip to to keep their heads above water and to beat the teams they needed to beat. Um, when they go back home, they need to take advantage of it. They are a very they're not flyers good at home, but they're sixteen eight and two at home. They're a really good home team. They need to win some of these games in in big ways, and they need to again establish that confidence. And when you play a team like the Devils, and when you play a team like Anaheim, San Jose, and L.A., these are bad teams. You have to beat them. You have to. You cannot lose games like that. Because remember that one game in 2017 or 2018 when the Panthers lost to Ottawa? And it's like, no, you can't do that. You have to beat the bad teams that you play. And they don't have a lot of run because they don't play a lot of bad teams. But, you know, like that's, that's the craziness in the East. Like one loss and you're now sitting where Carolina is. Or two wins and it now looks like you're in the clear. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, we're Florida Panthers fans, so we've seen how, you know, a ref or a post or something like that can cost you two points. Um, yep. So, I mean, it is it is why the Panthers fans should be happy. I mean, because the team's doing things since the new year uh, that they weren't able to do before the new year, but also not satisfied, not overly confident, not complacent, because it's going to be a cat fight like every spring is for the Panthers. Yeah. I mean, like they are, I mean, I, I didn't intend the pun, but now I did. Um, <laughs> but of course you, did. you know, there's I, I don't, so many variables. Yeah. It's a cat. Now. Yeah. It's a, it's a cat fight all the way down, but in most years, like when Panthers are in the hunt, it's a year where there's six, seven. I mean, like this is, unless you're in one of the top two divisional spots or unless you have a really good year all through the 82 games i mean you're in a knockout drag out fight you know because they're not in a weak division they're not in the pacific they don't get the luxury of being crappy like they you know not crappy but being worse than usual like vegas does but still for a long stretch and still being in a playoff spot right yeah and you know that's just not something that you can do in the, the East are one this year. Out of first place in the Pacific right now. <laughs> right. And, right. And the team that's first place in the Pacific, they got blown up by in October. But when the Panthers played them in January, they destroyed the Canucks. Absolutely killed them. Yep. And you're like, that's the first place team in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the. I, I heard the stat. Goldie mentioned it like 50 times last night on the broadcast. Ten of the top 13 teams in the league are in the East this year. Two of those teams are going to miss the playoffs. Yeah. That, and, and, and for the Panthers, you just can't be one and, of them. And it will be a bigger tragedy than the year that the Panthers missed the playoffs. That's for sure. 17-18, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this would be a much, much bigger tragedy. Much bigger, much bigger pain. Uh, Flyers, since the Panthers are going to be playing them soon. Um, yeah, and the I, – I don't – they're not fraternal twins – but they're, you know, they're twins. Like, they are they, they a team. They kind of seem related in many ways, right? They're just progressing kind of to the same clip. I mean, there's different things going on. There's different holes they need to fill. There's, They're not the same type of team. But every time you look at the standings, there they they're are right next to each together. other. Every time you look at the different, like, team advanced stats and stuff, they're usually both kind of in that middle, you know, that that average um, the NHL average kind of group, or maybe a little um, above and, at times, a little below at times. Yeah, yeah, but you know it averages out the average. It's kind of one of those things. Yeah, um, I mean they they're doing well without Carter Hart. That's that's a- no Carter Hart, no Nolan Patrick, no Oscar Lindblom. Uh, 
you know they're they still don't have Shane Gaw to spare, really. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he's he's kind of going through his Mike Matheson stuff, but it's it's is even he worse. Mike Matheson now. I mean, he was always Mike Matheson, but unlike Mike Matheson, he didn't have one of the best power play units to just drop in on because Mike Mike Matheson can't get on a power play unit. Nope. Um, but uh, like you know, but they have the same issues. They play the same way. And the they both have NCAA backgrounds and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I do think that they were both limited to how far they could go in the NHL because they play like a they only play like a rover. Yes. Um, and, and we talked they, about that with Allison too, and she talked about Zach Wierenski being a, a rover. But I like Wierenski is still incredibly good defensively. Like, he is that rare combination right. of he's a rover, but also, like, you trust him defensively to do the little things that you can't trust Matheson to do, well, you can't trust Goss to spare to do. And, again, the Leafs, you can't trust half their defensemen to do. Like, you watch Toronto, and that's not just the Cody Cece thing. Like, right, right. other than Jake Muzzin on that Leafs team, who defends? Like, what defenseman defends? Rasmus Sandin at times, Sandin but I mean, maybe. he's, yeah, but, but like I mean, it's kind of like a Stillman. Stillman yeah, exactly. Yeah, Riley Stillman page. defends. And, and Sandin might have more offensive upside, but that was the biggest thing. And I said about the Leafs, and I'd love to hear what Leafs fans think about this, if any Leafs fans listen to this show. The issue we talked about. You can just about turn it off right now. Uh, I'm kidding. But the, but the thing is, well, we're not talking about backup goalies. We're talking about the biggest problem the Leafs have is the biggest problem the Panthers had in recent years. They had defensemen that did the same thing. All of them are, in essence, the same. You need different kinds of defensemen. That's what Carolina was really good at and why they were so good. Because all their defensemen, while you wanted them to do a certain thing really well, they're all different kinds of defensemen. And, like, Dougie Hamilton has a unique skill set. So does Pesci. So does Slavin. The Bruins with McAvoy and with Carlo and with Tory Krug. They have all these good defensemen who are good at moving the puck. They are good offensively, have instinct, but they're also good defensively. They also do different things defensively. That's the biggest problem with Florida, and that is the fatal flaw in the Leafs because all their defensemen do the same thing. They've got too many guys that do exactly. They add in Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry is everything you already have. You it's, like we, we got, it's like re-signing Jake Gardner, you know? Like, yeah, it's, it's like, pretty much what they did. Which is like you... you like, what they need is they need another Muzzin. They need to tr- – they uh, and I hope they don't, but, like, they need to trade for Hampus Lindholm, like that kind of thing. They need a defenseman who is – again, offensive instincts are there, but he likes to defend. He's confident defending. He's confident without the puck. He's confident in his positioning. The Leafs just have a bunch of rovers. And you know what? Like, that is why Cody Ceci is as bad as he looks because – He's playing with a bunch of defensemen that are running around doing all their thing. It's like if you put Cody Ceci with Keith Yandel. You know how bad that's going to be. And that's what happened with the Leafs. Ceci might be good if he played for the Blue Jackets because you could hide him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if Scott Harrington's a great defenseman on his own or Gavrikov's a great defenseman on his own. But in a system where you know they have these attention to detail and you know you have these instincts defensively you could take out of a player, then it works. But the Leafs don't have that. And I thought with Sheldon Keith they would be better at that. But they're not. You know what? You know what the Leafs remind me of Sheldon Keefe, and it just popped into my head. And I'm gonna get some hate for this. They remind me of late Arsene Wenger Arsenal. They're great. They do all these beautiful, pretty passing, but you get them in a minute where they have to defend, and they fall apart. That's what they remind me of. 
if the Tampa Bay Lightning remind me of Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, which is when they don't get what they want, they start foul. They start Pep teams commit cheap tactical fouls. The Lightning take penalties and get boo boo faced. The Leafs remind me of late Arsen Wenger Arsenal. That's it. I finally found the answer. And I was going to say, you know, they remind me of the Lightning before they got defensively sound, before they, you know, Hedman was, a, you know, a Norris candidate. Yeah, I mean, like, they they were, like, the first couple runs they had in the playoffs were in Stamkos was still, like, a center and everything. And um, before Kucherov really took off, took off, is they could score, but they couldn't defend. And, uh, you know, things would break down. And then, obviously, now that they can defend, when things break down, there's not like, oh, well, we just need to learn how to defend. They just get all piss, pissy and moaning. But just to go back a little bit, because you were on a good run, I didn't want to interrupt you, because I agreed with everything you say said. But um, a good example of what you were talking about of rovers just need – you can still play that game and be a rover and – put up a bunch of points, but just knowing how to play defense in that position is a big win. Like you can, and the perfect example, something that we all know is Mark Pissick was an offensive defenseman who wasn't really known for being good on -on one-on-ones or, you know, like he was, there was some limited shots, but you thought it was because of puck possession and, and things like that. But when he goes to a forward, you can see how much better defensively he is than the forwards on the team just because he knows he has that experience playing defense, but he also just has his attention to details. He's really good at getting his sticks and blocking cross-ice passes and stuff because he had to do that to keep pucks in in the zone at the blue line and stuff like that. But that's kind of what Wierenski does. He brings that really good defense that, you know, for a forward where for you know like a Yeri Lettinen somebody who's very good defensively uh for a forward but they still are up the ice they just know how to back check they know how to take those angles all the way back and make up ice by taking away the good ice I mean watch what um, he did. if you want to see that watch how he played last night right not just that he scored the game winning goal whatever but watch how he plays and how many defensemen are like that like it's really hard to find them, but they're out there, and you know what? That's the defenseman. If I'm telling a kid coming into the league or young player, how do you want to play defense? How do you want to be the all-around player? I'm telling them look at Zach Wierenski or look at somebody like a Roman Yossi type. Like you can be good offensively and still be very good defensively. It's not one or the other. You know, I mean, you don't want to be you know terrible offensively, but there, I mean, there are roles for players like that. But you don't want to be Mike Matheson. You don't want to be Tyson Berry in many ways. Because if you are, then you are limited defensively. And for all of your offensive output that works so well, defensively, there's such a liability that it becomes almost impossible to continue to play the way that that you've been playing. And that's a thing that we will see whether other teams figure that out. Uh, Let's get to prospect stuff. I think we should do that right now. Sure, and let's quickly. let's start with um, let's start with that 2014 redraft. Ah, yes, I want to see this. I'm going so, to do Panthers grade right now. Okay, so you just want me to vamp? Uh, I, so, ha- I have it right now. Okay, so this this is a ongoing series that Pro- Corey Promen has done for ESPN and now does for the Athletic, where he goes back and he re-updates draft grades 
uh, because, you know, he does it sometimes two, three years out, and then now this is like six years out. He goes back and does them again, uh, especially now when everybody's really what they are. I mean, there's not that much room potential left on these guys that were drafted in 2014, especially, you know, he's mainly looking at the first, second round picks and, and the big players that come out of the draft in the later rounds. Um, so those are the ones that are already pretty established. Um, 2014, we're talking Pasternak, Sam Reinhardt, Dreisaitl, Nylander, Ellers. Um, that was the yeah. draft. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't go number, as, as Promen says, and I agree with him, he wouldn't go number one if he did a redraft. It would probably correct. be Dreisaitl, but I mean... It's not like pro- again, he would probably be four or five in a redraft, but again, it's not that's bad. not bad, and that's better than most of the defenders who get picked number one overall. I mean, if we redrafted, would Rasmus Dahlin go number one again? I Pro- don't I mean, think so. yeah, I mean, like that's the thing, but it's harder to get, especially back in 2014, it was much harder to get those defensemen. Yeah, and, and, and listen, Aaron Ekblad is having a really, really, really good season. He had, he's had a couple 20-goal years. He's got a Calder trophy. He's listen, he does playing first pair of minutes. Play, and he has gotten better every single year since those concussion problems. He's gotten better and better every single year. He's taken the step. Again, also you can argue he doesn't have the partner that really allows his skill set to sign. Maybe he's a really high-end second defenseman, you know, on a great team. But I, I can't be mad the Panthers took him number one. He, it was the right decision at the time. There were so many rumors they were going to trade the pick, and they didn't. And they, they made the right decision. Like, you never know how a player is going to develop. But again, I'm not going to complain about Ekblad. He's truly – he, is he worth his contract? Maybe, maybe not. But I think he's still an incredibly high-end defenseman. Again, if he's a tweener between a one and a two, you're not. They're hard to find. You got that player, so yeah, I can't, and, can't blame him for it. And let's also remember that when you're talking about the draft value of somebody and where in the draft they should go, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't be looking at well, what contracts did you did they sign five years later, you know, and and are they yeah. playing up to that contract now? And again, he's not underplaying the contract and when you see you're gonna when we go back and look in a couple years at defensemen around his age and the contracts they sign i i bet you ekblad's still in the top 10 percent of defenseman contracts from his age group yeah i i think he's still going to be a it's not a contract that's going to hurt this team whatsoever i don't think he's not the best defenseman that you've ever seen which is what people think when you draft a defenseman number one overall so credit credit goes to him. I have no issue with that. Right. The B plus was the grade that Promden gives them. Their 2014 grade was an A. You know, whatever. Some a lot of the guys didn't work out. I mean, Power it makes walking. sense. It makes sense because you took a guy at 31st overall, and he's just now getting some minutes in the NHL, and he's still being treated like a, a spare part. So, I mean, if you really look at that draft, it's it's hard to to, so let's to go really over hate some other that. Teams. Let's go over some other teams that I think we could say. No um, one got better. No one really got better. Better. Like, no um, one really. I mean, I think. But, well, the Bruins. I mean, the Bruins got a little better, but I think they were still ranked pretty high coming out of that D draft. And now they have an A plus because they, you know, yeah. Because, yeah. Um, I think the Rangers had a bad draft that year. 
let me see, the New York Hockey Rangers. They got a C and they got a C plus, but they got Justin Shevstorkin, so. Yeah, I guess that if, if he did it last year, it's probably still that C. And the New Jersey Devils got a failure because they decided to wait until a million years to do that Kovalchuk thing, and yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that. maybe that's the New York area team I was thinking that horrible. The Canadians got a B. That makes sense. Yeah, the Canadians got a D because they don't know how to draft. Um, uh, let's see, who else? Red Wings, you know, uh, Red Wings, B+. Dallas Stars got a D because they drafted Honka and they've, you know, done what they've done. Yeah, and the Blue Jackets now have a C plus, even though Merzlikens is shutting out everybody. Right? Oh, the Avs got a, an F. Yeah, they um they took Connor Bleakley. Yeah. Uh, which I, I'm Promman says, but I think everyone knows is one of the worst first round picks in a while. He says that I that it was weird story. Yeah. Weird That's... weird story that one. Uh, the Flyers no grade, so they did because yeah. of Limbaum, because of Limbaum, which is fair. Um, yeah, and and uh, you know I think <laughs> Philadelphia is the one of those towns that's that you could conceive that they would be like oh, I don't give a shit, just show me the rankings. I just want to know what yeah, the, know. my prospects like, are ranked. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Flyers fans are gonna say that. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm sure they I'm sure they didn't though. Um, I think got up back there and he's doing not good. Um, let's see. Most of these teams, yeah, not terrible. Not terrible. So that was an interesting 2014 re-audit. Let's go to the Panthers prospect from Scott Wheeler, who we had on this show. Well, I, I, I'll just finish by saying uh, Dreisaitl, Nylander, and Pasternak are the only ones I would take in front of Ekblad. Yeah, that, that's, I would definitely agree with you. There's nobody else I'd take in front of him. I mean, and and the guy that Talon wanted the most was Nikolai Ehlers. So that would, you know. Ehlers it, is a fine player, but he's not better than the other three. Right. right. No. So, like, that's that's not bad. Okay, so Panthers prospects. Um, their rankings are really not a surprise um, if you haven't seen it. Spencer's Knight's number one. Uh, then it's Denisenko. Then it's Tippett. Then it's Heponiemi and Gildan. Borgstrom doesn't count as a prospect, according to him. But you know, yeah. And, and they were what were they ranked like twelfth or thirteenth or 11th. something like that? They were eleventh. Yeah. But the Scott, but the Scott Wheeler line, I will quote it for you now. The Panthers prospect pool is truly unique, and not in the every prospect pool is different. So they're all kind of unique kind of way. It really is different. A lot of that is different by the presence of a goalie prospect who is because of his age, unlike any of the other early to twenty mid goalies who rank him on the best outside of the NHL. They've also got a center who's one of pro hockey's tiniest and consequently one of the most fascinating young players, a winger whose raw talent amongst the best of his age group, a darling of the scouting world, and one of Russia's, the best world skating six foot five human beings. At the top of the list, they each have a skill that excites you and a question mark that makes you second guess yourself, and you have to pull things out faster than most of the league's upper half. Together, they're an island of misfit toys, and I can't get enough of them. That's why we're Panthers fans, because they're all an island of misfit toys, and we just, the, the curiosity kills us. Um, Knight is playing really well at BC this year. He didn't have a great game in the, the bean pot, but fine who cares he'll he's gonna have another year of college under his belt next year he's played really he wasn't great at the world juniors but he had a really good year at bc dennis Sanko, as i said like he's he's coming over next year like my guess is that he plays Willie. next year uh, yeah same with same with Tippett. and you know the other story we saw with when george richards wrote about it is like they could trade mike hoffman because they could drop Tippett in that spot and you wouldn't see any appreciable difference and when george richards wrote that i almost like wanted to play on youtube the chorus of angels singing 
Because it's like, well, you know, yes. you know, if 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 uh, George Richards wrote it, he it was at oh, least they're approved. Thinking about it. They're thinking yeah, it was about at it. least he's approved. Like, and he was like, of the sort. players of Dadnoff and Hoffman, Hoffman's the one you trade. Yes, it's like yeah. look, people are listening to us. But let me let me let me go back and just talk about uh, this this prospect pool and yeah. these rankings. Um, Honestly, I thought they'd be a little lower. They're well, yeah. I mean, they're weird because it's all about what they value, and you know, Scott Wheeler is saying that he values those Dennis Anko, Tippett, and Spencer Knight so much that they're eleventh, even though everything under that is pretty, pretty rough. And then that you know, Dennis Anko has will he come over? Will he not come over? The whole KHL thing. Knight's a goalie, and that's voodoo. That's hard to predict. That's a lot of things. Um, and then, you know, Tippett is just getting it together this year, but before that, there was all those questions around him too. Um, and then the next prospect is Heponiemi, which we've yeah, already talked we've about. Talked about and so there, well and, and, and again, where's about. where's the centers? Um, where's the centers? Max Gilden is fifth. Well, here's here's the problem with Max Gilden. He's not going to be anything. He's, I, I've seen him live in New Hampshire. I've seen him, uh, you know, I've I've scouted him a while. He's he is a worse Ian McCoshin. Oh, that's fun. So I mean, like in between an Ian McCoshin and and Matheson, probably, but he's not like he's not putting up numbers in NCA that are really telling. Um, and he's got the same issues of he's a guy who likes to hold the puck. He's a guy that likes to skate up the ice. He's a guy that needs power play time to be really have a use. And I, I think he's just at the wrong age with the wrong place. Like he's just not going to be a thing with the Florida Panthers. I don't, I hope, I hope not. I mean, okay. you hope that you're I, wrong, but you don't. I was that. very, very shocked to see Max Gilden above Kalniachuk yeah. because about, not only his reading on him. Cause I, I think you get the sense that there's something there. I mean, he might not be a top pairing guy, but there's, you get the sense that there might be something there, there. Well, he's definitely their best defensive prospect. I mean that's yeah. Well, that's not hard to I be think, in the system. Yeah, but I mean he does a lot of everything, and I mean he, but he is somebody that shows the potential to eat twenty minutes a night in the NHL and play in all situations. Maybe power play two, maybe penalty kill, you know, up a goal, down a goal. Like this is a guy who can do a lot of that stuff. You get you get talking to Gildan, you're talking about a guy with. I would say less natural skill. I would say a guy who's not progressing as quickly and is a lot older and further down the pipeline. And this is somebody who doesn't have that all around game that doesn't, you know, it's not like UNH is a good college, but it's not like he's like, if you made them be, better, it's not be like he's done that. Or if at you look that, at Conley, you be above the fray. Is what yeah. You're but if you, yeah. But if you look at Conley, Kali, he's he plays he plays for Flint. They're terrible. He plays for Belarus. They're terrible. And he has done. He's lifted them up with his minutes he's played. Mm -hmm. He's brought the team up with them, 
And, uh, you know, obviously he's not alone. There's Ty Del- Delandra in, in Flint, who's a, a very good Dallas Stars prospect and things like that. But, um, yeah. It, it's 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 a it's a there's a much different feeling you get when you look at him. You you're saying this guy's most like is probably, you know, this is top four NHL potential, you know, mm-hmm. in his you know the second half of his draft year all the way through this year. You're seeing that potential with Gildan in his draft year. He started the year really high in the rankings and fell all draft year, and. Yeah, it's not like he's had multiple good years in UNH. I mean, he's he's on his third year now, and um, I would I would say that it's it's hard to say that it's linear growth, that it's a good trajectory. I would say it's more just arrested development um, before he even got to Springfield, which is king of arrested development. So I worry about that. He also had he also had Stillman below Kolyachanok, which is weird. Uh, because, I mean, like, you could say what you want to say about him, but Joel Quenville trusts him, and he's playing decently well. well I think Stillman's I mean, I, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that Stillman is ahead of Gildan, but is behind Colin Chana oh, yeah, yeah, because... Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, I... It's just... I don't think that... St- Stillman doesn't give me the belief that he could play on a first pair. He might not be, you know, the top, the number one or number two defenseman for the team, but he can play on the first play, pair, hold his own, p- play 20 minutes, play with a good partner and, That's and balance it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if Stillman can do that yet. I haven't seen anything other than his one run in the Memorial cup or, or uh, was it the Memorial cup or just the playoffs? I forget the, playoffs, OH with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Yeah. 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 Um, like, you know, besides that, He's never really controlled the game, controlled the decor, been, um, you know. But it's, I'm not saying it can't happen because what he's done so far is shown that the, he puts himself in the right position. He plays within himself, and he's okay with just getting the puck and giving it to the person in a better spot than him. Um, and, and as a defenseman, keeping it simple – uh, and playing like that with the Panthers, when no one keeps it simple, it stands out. Yeah, and but it also it makes you better. If if his issue is that he, scouts and people like me just don't think he has the top end skill to play those minutes, well, if he does everything else right and is able to play with someone with skill and and make them better, he could easily take everything I'm saying and make me look terrible. You know, he could end up being one of the better defensemen on the team. I mean, it's not, he's not that far off of it, but it's just, does he have that top end skill? Can he take the next step now that he's in the NHL? Can he do what he needs to do with the, can he handle pucks that well? Can he make pass, you know, can he keep a high passing rating, making more passes every game, playing more minutes? That's going to be, that's going to be the thing, but okay. So now we've done with uh, Panthers pool 2020. Yeah, the, uh, the, the rankings, and I want to talk about them. Yeah, so I'll let you go first with this. Yeah, like like most drafts, uh, it's very positional. I mean, I have, I I have an overall rank, and I think I tweeted it out under the Y Hockey. Um, 
Twitter handle um, a bit like last week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. it's still very much forwards ranked against each other, D ranked against each other because there's not that many D at the top of the draft. You know, there's not. It's it's hard to say Jamie Drysdale is that mo- is better or worse than Alexander Holtz, or you know, there's. And I'm a person who thinks position matters and team need matters in the NHL in these drafts where you can find, if you if you are consistent in what you're looking for and what you need, and you have a good game plan, you can find good players every round, all the way through seven. So, so you had Byfield ahead of Lafreniere, which is going to get people to ask questions. <laughs> so, yeah, so let's just but, start but, there. But, I mean, you basically told me, and I can kind of see what you're saying, is, like, they're basically equal, and you give weight to Byfield being a center, which is fair. And younger. I mean, Lafreniere oh, is October birth year. He is half a month away from being in last year's draft. Quinn Byfield is August's birthday. He's a month and a half away from being in next year's draft. He's already three inches and forty or you know twenty five pounds heavier. Um, he's a natural center. He plays well center. Um, but if you, I mean, Lafreniere has better puck skills and I think uh, a better what killer is instinct. NHL comparable. I was trying to figure that out. Lafreniere. Yeah. Will Forsberg. Okay. Okay. I think that's that's you're gonna get. You know, somebody who competes like Philip Forsberg, who gets in around the net like Philip Forsberg, who can make plays, um, but then also score. I mean, it, it's somebody who... Like, if that's your NHL comparable, mm-hmm. is that, like, my always at when I see these... And, the, and these comparables are what they are. I mean, they're, they're different for everybody. But let's just say, for argument's sake, it's Philip Forsberg. What's Byfield's best comparison for what we know now? Or do you have a good answer for that? I I want to say like a Nico Hishier would I I mean not what most people think of Jack Hughes but what I think of Jack Hughes which is ah, similar to Nico Hishier US National Team Development Program Jack Hughes well, you know yeah like the um I think he's going to be he's pretty close to he's going to be between a top 50 and a top 30 center in the in the NHL you're hoping it's Pierre Luc Dubois. Oh, but okay, okay, yeah, He's yeah. a better he's a better skater. I mean, he can Pierre Luc Dubois is great. And you know what? Credit to your Imagine 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 Dubois as but Dubois who can do the Mohawk skating and can, you know, has a, has a higher end gear. I mean, that's probably the a, a good uh And would you take that number 1 over Philip Forsberg? Yeah, I mean, I I think you, I think centers. Most NHL forwards are drafted as a center, and I think you know, especially if it's you don't look at the, the other just, way than inside. Yeah, but also centers usually have more developed hockey IQ, awareness, puck management skills, and things like that. Um, so there's. The, like at the end of the day, centers are just the most important thing on a hockey team. I mean, you can you can talk about goalies and number one defenders till the cows come home, but you need three really strong centers to win the Stanley Cup, and you don't need anything else. Like you can win without a good decor, you can win 
without a goalie, but you can't win without a really good one-two center punch or, you know, a really good overall three center. So do you think as we head into further on into this draft evaluation, do you think that you're more likely to, like, elevate Byfield then because of this? No, no, no. I think this is going to be pretty – I mean, uh, it's – to me, it's a If you don't have him, number one. Right, yeah, yeah. I think it's – I think they're – these two – are pretty, pretty alone um, in in their own tier. At least right now, in my opinion, I don't see Lucas Raymond, Anton Lundell, Tim Stutzel, you know Drysdale, you know moving up and taking. And you also have to ask the question because we heard it all throughout the draft evaluation of Spencer Knight about Askarov, the Russian goalie, who we all thought might be the guy, like the first in ten years to be drafted, but then it turned out to be Spencer Knight. Um, what, what do you think? Cause he's again with Spencer Knight going where he did and being pretty good, but it's still way too early to say, is that going to mean a team like, I don't know who is nowhere near like the Kings would want to jump to take Askarov cause they don't have anybody in their system or somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, the Kings should definitely, they're probably be too high to take Askarov. They yeah. But I mean, like just back, I, gave, but I gave an example out of like, I, or maybe like the wild or somebody like that. To me, Askarov is a goalie to take in the first round. I said it last year that Knight wasn't the goalie. If you want to take a goalie in the first round so bad, wait till next year. Um, and I still believe that. I think despite uh, a couple bad games in the World Junior uh, Championship this year, he is still the best goalie we have seen at that age that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't feel I have him ranked 10th overall and that is just because that's kind of where the break is uh, for the group for, you know, the second tier of forwards and the third tier of forwards. And I don't think that there's defensemen and forwards in that third tier. That's a safer pick. And since it's not safer, you might as well go for the home run in Askarov. Because the only reason of not picking a goal in the first round is because it's risky as hell. Like, taking Knight in the first round at 11th overall is super risky because 13th. so many players... 13th. Or 13th. So many players after that are going to be at least NHL players, if not top half of the lineup NHL players, contributing NHL players. And more chances are than not that Knight is not a starting goalie just because those are the odds, you know, nothing against him. It's not, has nothing to do with him. It's those are the odds. Um, so just real quick, I have Byfield Lafreniere one, two, but honestly it's a coin flip. Uh, the next group I have, that's all kind of coin flippy, but based on my preference is Lucas Raymond, Anton Lindell, Tim Stutzel, Alexander Holtz, all European forwards. Um, there's a surprise. Yeah, these are guys who've all played pro hockey. Uh, Stutzel and Lundell could, are probably centers. Uh, but La- Raymond is just, I think, the most electrifying player outside that top two. When so it comes down to who do you want to have the puck? Raymond the equivalent of Elias Pettersson from a couple of years ago? I think so, because he's got that ridiculous shot. He can play make, and he flies around the ice, and he can just do what he wants. Um in the offensive zone, whether it's cut inside uh, on a bigger defenseman uh, by using his edges, whether it's 
go wide and, and get around him, whether it's making a pass or a shot, he is electric with the puck and without the puck all the time. Um, and that's what sets him apart from Lundell, Stutzer, or Holtz, who maybe are doing better, maybe are a little more defined or bigger or something like that. But they, I just don't see that get-out-of-your-seat electric type of game-breaking out of them. Uh, I mean, they're all very good. I, I know a lot of people have Jimmy Jamie Drysdale, who I have at seventh, you know, right after those European forwards, as three as high as three or four in this draft because he is the clear defenseman. He's mm-hmm. from Canada. He's a right-handed defenseman, and he plays on the Erie Otters, and he's putting up points. He's very popular, and there's no defenseman really – that has the markability in this draft that he does. We all, well, okay. I'll get to the European, the defenseman that I think could be as valuable to pick as far as what you're going to end up getting, but they're not going to have the value on draft day that J- Jamie Drysdale, he's by far, I think going to be the first D off the board. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, and that's, and that's the interesting question when you have a talk about something of this. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and he's a great defenseman. I really like him. I have no, I don't really see many issues. I think his defensive game will come, will round out. You know, it's not, I don't see him foregoing defensive zone duties. I don't see him cheating in the defensive zone or having, you know, like Bo and Byram, had a little bit of, I already have 50 points or I'm up 5-2 in this game. I can kind of cheat a little bit. I can, you know, do what I want to do. Uh, and I don't see that as much. Not to put anything down on Bo and Byram, another great defenseman any team would be happy to have. Yes. Um, and uh, then Anything else you want to get to? Because I want to wrap this show up because 31 uh, there are a couple Panthers-related things in there that I want to talk sure. about. I, I will just say that um, Marco Rossi, Noel Gundler, and Cole per- Perfetti are that next tier of forwards um, who I think could get picked anywhere from 8, 9 to 12, 13, 14. Um, and those are, that's where the drop off is. Once you get to Perfetti at 11 and you go down, I mean, there is a big drop off and it becomes a average draft class. I think there's the top eight or nine, 10, if you want to count the goalie, um, is probably better than average, but it's not, you know, fantastic. But after that, it gets back down to your typical draft where you're going to get a lot of forwards, a run on forwards, and then you're going to get some defensemen in the later, later picks in the first. Basically, and what you said to me is it would be, it's fine if the Panthers picked like 20th this year. Oh, this is the year to do it, man. This is the year to do it because I get excited to, you know, there's a lot of the last couple of drafts. I've been really excited about the teens. Uh, you know, I've really been excited about guys in the teens. I'm not this year. Maybe it's because I haven't really watched enough or the guys in the twenties haven't moved themselves up in the teens yet. And I'm more, cause I mean, I'm more excited about guys. Early, in the 20s, early, but... Yeah. Um, some D just cause Panthers need D. Yeah. Uh, these are, uh, there's a D that I think is getting a lot of hype right now. He plays for Malmo in the Super Elite League in Sweden, Helga Granz. He's a right-handed defender. He turns 18 in May, uh, so he's on the y- younger end of the draft class. I have him ranked 24th uh, and the 4th 
or sixth, fifth or sixth best defenseman in the draft right now. Um, but I think he's the guy that has unlimited growth potential and could be a big riser. Uh, another one I like from Sweden, William Wallinder. Um, watch out for him. I don't know if he's going to be moving that far up the draft boards, but I think he could maybe be a second round get uh, by the time everything shakes out. Okay, so that's draft as we are close to it. 31 Thoughts has been dropped during this podcast. Very nice of uh, Elliot Freeman to do that, our friend. Uh, let's talk about what Panthers-related things that I have seen. The first one of the notes is about Alec Martinez, who is going to be traded. Uh, Panthers yep. apparently have interest. What would you think about Alec Martinez? No. Nope. retained salary. No? No. I mean, if it's, if it's, Alex, Mar- if it's Alec Martinez or nothing – yeah. Depending on the price, I would maybe take Alec oh, Martinez because be, be body second round pick and a body, yeah. like nothing, yeah. like nothing crazy. So that's. But Alec I Martinez. just, I'm just not sure what he has. Le- I mean, it's hard to judge what a defenseman on the Kings has left in the tank this season for sure. They've been but a decent possession team. Yeah, but he's put. I mean, Kings defensemen have, over the course of their careers, accumulated a ton of mileage, and uh, he's one of them. So I'd be, I don't know. I, I'm not against it. I'm not for it, I guess. Okay. And then the other note that I saw, and I'd just be skimming for it. Uh, the blues, of course, they're interested in Chris Kreider. They mentioned that Mike Hoffman could be the fallback option if they don't get Kreider. And as I said for the Panthers, if you trade Mike Hoffman and it helps you get defensive help, then you can do it because Owen Tippett is essentially a like for like replacement. Yeah. We said that earlier. I, I, and people, if they trade Mike Hoffman, it does not mean they're tanking. It means that they're getting value for a player they're going to clearly walk away from. And because they have somebody who is basically younger Mike Hoffman in the AHL that they will like to promote. And again, I mean, you could talk all about you want that in the playoffs. But in terms of just what they give you, Mike Hoffman and Owen Tippett are basically the same. And Owen Tippett has more upside because he's younger. Right. And this is now this is we don't know this to be true or anything. This is more of a hypothetical. But I think for people who are nervous to trade Mike Hoffman, let me put it into these words and see if you'd be more willing to trade Mike Hoffman. What does Hoffman bring to the table? His shot. Where does his shot this season seem to have success on the power play, standing in that one spot, getting passes fed his way? Has he done much outside on five on five no not really doesn't kill penalties he's not he's bringing the puck up yeah he's not bringing the puck up and down the ice he's not i mean there's liable for one there are turnover at the top of the blue line every game yeah and so at the end of the day if what you need mike hoffman to do for the rest of the year is to stand in a spot on the power play and just wind up that is something owen Tippett can do so if you if but if you think that you need Mike Hoffman at five on five, if you think you need Mike Hoffman to do X, Y, and Z, and do more than just that, maybe you keep him. But you're I mean, it's you're walking away from him regardless. It's clear yeah, but going to resign him. But I it, mean, I, I I agree with you. There's nothing wrong that. with keeping Hoffman as your own rental as well. Yes, but that, that that's but, fine. That, I've but it, it it you know, but it's kind of a half dozen of one six of the other you know like what what are you what are you trying to prioritize how do you want to use your lineup and what do you think is going to be harder to live without 
Yes. You know, and, this is going to be harder to live without Mike Hoffman's you power play goal. Answer to that. That's a that's a question that Talon and Quenville and 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 uh, Friedman mentions the Panthers in the last twenty five games they've given up fewer than twenty eight shots, just one. Six of the games were in the forties. The goal, but the, the goal to, again. He's basically like defense is the issue. They want defensive help. I think they're going to trade for a defenseman. We, you could argue they could trade for center, but let's say there's a lot of games before the trade deadline. I think they need. Add-up. I think that they. I mean, honestly, I think they should get a D forward and goalie. But call me oh, crazy. Yeah. I know, but that's a lot. Of I mean, I don't. I don't think I'd be wasting assets on a goalie because there's other no, teams no, looking for goalies no, and not, stuff. Not, not, not with what's happening with Toronto in that if you're, goalie situation. Yeah, if you're looking at what they need. If we're they trying need, to make a long playoff run, and they need yeah. a center, but we will see what ends up what ends up coming. The trade deadline's a while away, and there's still a lot of games that have to be played until then. I just found it interesting that those were the notes for it. Anything else you want to mention? Alex Ovechkin's going to get to um, 700 goals within the next week. Uh, it's crazy. That's fun. Uh, the Flames and Oilers hate each other. That's interesting. Like actual like fights and goalie fights and things. That was funny. Uh, it's the most anybody's ever talked about the Oilers and Flames in the United States in the history of anything. So there's that. Uh, what else is going on in the league? Gritty. He's been freed. Yeah. I mean, like we said on the last podcast, everything around it just seemed very fake. And I mean, it's not one of those things where you even want to say things like let's wait to to see what the things come out it, on its face it seemed very suspicious um and not in like a way where nuns man nuns that that video of gritty playing basketball with nuns i would die for gritty i would take I, a I bullet think a lot of us gritty. would die i remember thinking oh he just looks like harry knowles and masters of the universe and now i'm like oh why did i think that why am i being I... so mean to gritty I I just gritty is one of the only he's the Philly fanatic for another generation is what he he's is. he's like he's pure. I mean, obviously he's not pure because he'll fight people and stuff, but like and he's, he's pure in that there's nothing pure about that. But there's he's pure in that there's not like a commercialism no about him. There's not an ideology. There's not anything. It's just said, there's fun. no intentions to him. There is nothing else. It's just gritty. You don't it's, have to say anything else. It's just childlike wonder and fun. You know, like that's it's all like it is. It makes innocence. everyone act like a child in not like, oh, I'm a spoiled brat, you know, like middle schooler kind of way. It's the wonderment of being a child. Like, grown men in Philadelphia at Flyers games who get been- up from their seat three with three minutes left into the period to go try to find Gritty to take pictures with him during the intermission rather than sitting and watching the end of the period in Philadelphia where they like boo you if you do that <laughs> you know like these are grown men do after every goal they give up basically yeah so i mean it's it's, it's, it's one amazing. of those things where you there everything everything these days is made to elicit a dual, a dual opinion it's elicit to make someone fall in love with it and to make the other people hate it. it like you want like everything is trying to play off of those extreme feelings with gritty it's not like it's it wasn't like i feel like when you look at the edmonton oilers mascot hunter that he was made bobcat thing he was made to get people like upset about him you know like the, it was kind of one of those things where gritty it was just it was made for for 
for fans. Like it, it wasn't like so much nowadays is basically emotional currency is products and things being made to get, move emotional currency to get people to have a reaction. You know, I mean, when you, you know, what are the most popular videos on YouTube? It's reaction videos. What are, you know, like it's, it's, it's those are terrible. What, right, can, yeah. I, can I encourage you to watch on YouTube instead? Historia Civilis, amazing videos on history, including Roman history, which I'm mm-hmm. a Roman history geek. Uh, Kings and Generals, great history stuff. I love it. I've been watching their videos on the Ottomans. I have a lot of uh, interest in Ottoman history. Uh, yeah, I also people. like a good, you know, Lazy Boy or um, just a good piece of furniture, you know? Ah, yes. But, well, I mean, like, I, also, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good stuff out of me. You don't need to watch reaction videos to people saying, hey, do you know what No Scrubs is? Stop it. No, the best is uh, reacting to my son's report card and, oh, <laughs> you know, God. those types of, you know, like. Oh, that's, that's child abuse. By the way, yeah. did you see what Nolachari did for his um, uh, uh, gender reveal? No, was it? Game last night, I think. Was it just blue? Was it like a blue pack of Oreos or a pink pack of Oreos or something? I think it was some sort of like slap shot thing for uh for, of course uh, I, I wish not... i wish that people like nolachari was like hey things are going so great for me this year i'm a millionaire i'm in florida this is awesome i'm not gonna try to jinx that with bad karma with like a gender reveal yeah <laughs> i know i hate gender reveals can i say one more <laughs> thing about 31 thoughts then we're gonna wrap up this show uh draft uh, the draft was in south florida a couple years ago it was awesome we were both there Sunrise is going to host the All-Star Game next year. Congratulations to Jeff Merrick. The PF Changs is still where it used to be. Uh, I know that's the, the, the hottest ticket in town. Uh, in its attempt to fool around with the All-Star Game, Ellie Freeman says, uh, should the NHL continue a Team Florida? And I'm like, well, what kind of team could you put together? Because you have the broken corpse of Shane Gostisbehere. Yes. You'd have Chikrin. Great. You'd have Andrew Peak, who's, you know, done all right. For the, for the Blue Jack. I guess Jack Hughes technically would count because he was born in Orlando. Like, I don't know. As I said, the, the, the thing that the NHL needs to do, Mr. Worldwide, Mr. 305, even though it's in the 954 area code, get Pitbull to show up. He didn't show up for the, uh, the Super Bowl halftime show, which was very disappointing because I, if I had a bet, I was going to put money on a Pitbull showing up for that. Um, you get Mr. Worldwide, or in the case of it's the NHL, we got to go back to an old standby. Steve Goldstein in a different suit. Uh. Like, that could legitimately happen next year. And also, they're clearly lip-syncing. Uh, also, other thing from All-Star Weekend, uh, you, you got Billy Joe Armstrong. You really thought he was going to self-censor? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest Green Day 3.0 or whatever version of Green Day this is. Uh, but... What's the name of their new album? Something like Mother Death Motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah, like, come on, come on, people. I know. Also, by the way, hey, that's maybe hey, that's why you probably shouldn't sign three-year deals with bands because two-year deals, two-year deals, yeah. two-year deals well, for people who are well past their self. I'm kidding. Well, I like, Green but Daddy. I mean, like, you're talking about working with an artist as a company. And then you're just like, why don't they do what they want to do? Because if they wanted to do what they want to do, they'd be music executives. They'd be, they wouldn't be or they music wouldn't creators. Or your contracts with the National Hockey League. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, let's just say Green Day is trying to get out of that contract, it seems. Or the NHL is trying to get out of that. I don't know whether who's getting out of that contract. Uh, at least it's better than Kid Rock. 
I mean, take what he believes out of it. Kid Rock is awful. Garbage artist. Completely, utterly terrible. At least when they had the All-Star Game stuff, I heard Lizzo's song. So that was at least a positive. The NHL is at least somewhat hip. I really love Lizzo. I just... Oh. The, the one thing about Every Lizzo I don't like is that every, like, white neoliberal has been making Lizzo as VP jokes. And, like, oh, I just want to... Can we just let Lizzo stand on her own as an artist of just great... <laughs> right. And just a yeah. good... Don't like, drag her into the... the of hers don't... It's just a killer song. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and she's I'm not just trying to say like, that because, you know, you're, you're doing this because you want to sound... I, I mean, I like old rock music, but... Lizzo, every song, I, I can tell you what good music sounds like when I hear it. Lizzo, Lizzo's fantastic. Play more Lizzo, Panthers. You have home games coming up. Uh, so that's it for Why Hockey. Again, listen to the Allison Lucan podcast, Zach Sullivan, Outfield Podcast, at the Outfield Pod on Twitter. Please listen to that. Zach is awesome. Uh, one of the, my favorite people I've ever talked to in the sport of hockey. Uh, and remember, next week, Friday, we'll have the show after the Flyers and Panthers. The second most ambitious, oh, it's going to be the most ambitious crossover in history because there's two Panther Flyer games. Also, I'm going to mention this because the Flyers uh, Panthers game is on NBCSN everywhere but Philadelphia next Thursday. First nationally televised primal ca- primary cable game from sunrise in the regular season since 2007. Wow, um, and and it's it's things like that that make me kind of question the amount that people talk up Batman's growth of I the mean, game the and things have like one that. national tv game this year it's at the flyers and it's blacked out in philadelphia and they made the eastern conference final last year which was yeah know, at least there's again spoilers yeah i mean again it's great that he put teams in the south it's great that he doesn't want to move teams but what is he doing to help them grow a fan base become equitable with the other well, the teams and the... has more national tv games with their new tv deal i think you're going to see more of it yeah now. but I, I just i just don't want to i know that like Gary Bettman always gets bailed out by the fact that he brought hockey to new markets and that they're thriving and that there's an Austin Matthews in the NHL because of him. And he, he lives off of that, but oh, people don't forget. Villain-ish. Yeah. People don't forget. People don't remember that there a lot of things around that. Like it, it's only worked because of not NHL reasons. Like yeah. it's worked because of, players have come out of there it's worked because jeff vinnick took over tampa bay if jeff vinnick never took over never wanted to buy the lightning and never wanted to invest in tampa bay city uh the, this would there it'd be a way worse situation oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. of course i um, mean so give gary bettman credit for this give gary bettman credit for this he has and, and only owners who give a crap oh by the way we also one other mention i promised i would do this we are all Dwayne. I see you. I know what you're feeling. I feel terrible for you. You deserve better. We'll get you on this show at one point. I know that. I, I promised him that I would do this on this show. And I, I, I was... I of the bargain. I, I was overjoyed. Um, and, and let's... It maybe uh, we'll timestamp this when we when we put this so like Dwayne in the last two minutes talk or something like that. But just, I feel sorry that we mentioned in the last two minutes. But I do uh, too because he deserved to be mentioned off the top and just that it, it was the spitting. It is not a rant. It is a cry for help. It was the spitting image of 
boil down of what we used to do three years ago for the Panthers. That's the equivalent yeah. of that. It's just it yep. was on talk radio and went viral on that podcast. I don't think you can actually hear anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. But, it's right. like it's like what are you doing? Talk to us. Tell us what you plan on doing. You know things. And Dwayne is the type of fan that I love. I I love fans who are crazy that are crazy in the way that like they don't they're driven crazy because they cannot understand how a team like ottawa or florida with x y and z going for it and enough money can't at least pretend to care yeah you know they can't at least show that they they respect their fans at least as consumers not even as fans or humans or anything. They don't even respect them enough as consumers. This would be like someone at a restaurant continuing to s- serve you spoiled food and raising your the dinner prices every year. Ah. You know, like it, it, it is a real frustration, and you see this in in everywhere. There is a disconnect between a lot of people the, mm-hmm. outside of power structures on the institutional rot and incompetence inside a lot of power structures and that, and the inability to do anything with it. I mean, Dwayne would take a public L as my, as my, you can't even, again, like fixing the problem is one thing. You can't even go out and admit there's a problem and we screwed up. Like that's the other thing. They, they, they hide it. They, they do, they, you know, they'll try as much to deflect and to cover it up as much as possible and, you know, bandaid over it or something, but he'll never be accountable. He spent $6 million on Joel Quenville. He did what he needed to do. And so I have to give him credit for that. Terry Bagula spends money, but spending money ain't good enough. If you don't know how to spend your money and you don't have a plan in place. It's just too yeah, reactionary. But, I mean, but when you listen to the Dwayne conversation, he talks about knockoff Chinese jerseys. And, you know, like, this is Zimmerman. This is your mark. Ugh. Yeah. Panther oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they're, like, this is the Buffalo Sabres with more money than God. Uh, and a fan base that's really more... fantastic organization with good fans, and you know how great it would be. They care Unfair. about hockey deeply. They care about their teams deeply. And what do you get? You get Josh Allen, the horrible Josh Allen, and you get the Buffalo Sabres, and you get Jack Eichel looking like he is the saddest human being on the face of the earth. These are people who can deal with a lot. They live in Buffalo, right? I mean, it's it's in the winter. Yes. Yeah, it's it's gray, dreary, so much snow. They are. I mean, it's an old, failed factory town. Care. You might argue they care too much. But that's beautiful, and they don't get any reward for it. It's it's really not fair to them. And again, I, I saw Jesse Spector tweet. It was like the worst thing the sports industrial complex ever did was blaming fans for what owners can fix, which I'm seeing yeah. with the Jaguars right now because their owners moved two home games to London because they don't make enough local revenue because his team under Shad Khan's ownership has a less than 300 winning percentage, and you're blaming the fans for that. Nope. I I will I, I as I said this is why I'm very critical of owners like you have the keys to the car it is not anybody else's responsibility but your own if you want to win you can win you just have to know how to do it the right way and that's why I was so critical of Viola and Sifu and I will be until they prove that they don't deserve the criticism more and why I'm like even the best owners screw up but I mean like again who's the best owner in the NHL it's Vinick 
but those guys are dime a dozen. You know what I mean? They're, they're, or Dundon even. Like, Dundon has problems, but he's still found a way to at least show that he appreciates the fans and he knows what to tap into, and his, or, and his organizations run like that. Terry Bagula, for all the money he spends, all he cares about Buffalo, I mean, that Sabres team is garbage. They're, they're garbage. Like, what, what are we doing? There's no patience. There's no plan. There's no idea. They're run like an Italian soccer team, but not a good one, just a mid-table one that fires their coach every 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, like uh, Wayne. Like maybe uh, an Italian soccer team that thinks, like, just because they have Cristiano Ronaldo or Jack Eichel, they can just... Well, no. Uh, they, who cares? Like, they basically what the Sabres are, but they aren't really. They're like AC Milan. I can't believe I'm making these soccer comparisons. They're so odd, but... Yeah, they're kind of like they're kind of like AC Milan, and you know, and you know, there's a person on uh, there's a person who does Italian soccer show. His name is Tiziano Cordelli. Uh, he's an old man. He's a huge Milan fan. Uh, look him up on Twitter and find his reactions to Milan games. They're hilarious. That's kind of what Dwayne reminds me of. Uh, you might not understand a lick of Italian, but you will understand the emotions. Anyway, we are all Dwayne. I apologize to you, Dwayne profusely on behalf of everybody here at Y Hockey for mentioning you at the hour 40 mark of an hour 50 minute Shalong show. I apologize. Yeah. We're going to get you on the show in the future. We're going to rectify this problem. I promise. Dwayne anyway. is all of us. There's a lot of people out there who are just at their wits end with a political party, with a sports team, so with yep. bills, and with health care. And they need to talk. Yes, talk over your problems, people explain give yourself a platform to talk we live in the internet age you can do it and that's why Dwayne is great he's on twitter too i forgot his twitter handle but you already follow him already i bet it's Dwayne something it's in our it's in one of our tweets i I, I mentioned it on y hockey uh with twitter account so if you check the y hockey at mentions you'll probably find it uh yeah if i had if i if i was looking at my computer i'd get distracted all episodes so I'm not going to yeah. look it up now. Well, I, I am 30 minutes into a Jose Mourinho spur game that I've completely missed. And that shows you how much I, what dedication I have. To you know what game. I missed? Christian Eriksen is not on the Spurs anymore. No, he is not because he wasn't playing like he was on Tottenham for the last year and a bit. And then he goes to Inter and he hits the first man with a corner kick. It's great fun. Anyway, we'll talk well, about I, that. I mean, I, that, I think Christian Eriksen just got tired of Tottenham. It seemed like. um, he got tired of a lot of things and we got tired of him too. I got tired of talking about it. Anyway. I'll never yeah. not like a Swede. Oh, uh, he's a Dane. He's a Dane, though. Uh, it's close enough. He's, he's, well, you got Scandinavia, right? But he's, but he's Danish. Um, anyway, show next Friday after two Panthers-Flyers games. Lots of fun coming. Hope you enjoyed this marathon show again. Listen to the Allison Lucan podcast. Zach Sullivan, the Outfield podcast. My podcast, RGBZ Sports. Good night and good hockey.